afternoon and welcome back to our Hubbard and Tennyson podcast. We're back with you today, season one, episode three. And today I have my fellow co-worker, Miss Jackie Lassiter, joining us today. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Gina. How are you? It's um, great to be here. I'm great, great. I'm glad you could join me today. I know we've been going through a lot these past few days and months and, you know, everything's kind of... um, up in the air with oh, schools absolutely. and um, climate. And we just had a time in our lives as being veteran therapists that, you know, we probably never thought we'd have to deal with at this age. I can put it like that. Particularly at this age. <laughs> right. Correct. There you but go. we're ever evolving. And um, it just reminds me um, of, you know, when we first started out in this field that, um, You've got to be very fluid if you're going to if you're just going to keep up to date with things. So absolutely, I agree that we're we're going through a, a difficult time, but it's also an opportunity for us to um, to grow an opportunity for growth. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, with the pandemic, we're dealing with schools closing and, you know, the new norm of teletherapy and Zoom and. Uh, go-to meetings, you know, that is, um, you know, that's the way things have gone, you know, to the end of the school year, to the summer, we're still just kind of waiting on, you know, with the opening of schools, it's going to look like, which is kind of scary at this point. Um, Yes, yes. And we've done scary before, Gina. Remember um, in about 2000 and 2005, 2006, we, we did scary. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, we definitely did. So I, I would say that, you know, although we're, we're veteran speech pathologists, we've been in the field for a long time, um, that we're not stagnant, that um, we're definitely growth oriented. We did some magnificent things um, when, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, and we learned a lot of a lot of things, a lot of things that really were, were innovative. And I think that during this pandemic, um, that it'll be the very same thing that, um, you know, we're opening our minds to um, different ways of providing services to students. And um, in order to continue to grow as a therapist, as I said early, earlier, that you, you can't you can't have a, a mindset of being stagnant or always wanting to do something the way it's always been done. So um, I'm looking at it as a growth opportunity. Challenging, yes, but um, <laughs> challenging, yes, but a growth opportunity. It, it's interesting. Some the 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 um, conversations are always about um, what do you want to see um, different in your life when we come out on the other side of um, COVID-19. And um, I've always had an an interest in teletherapy, but not, I've never been put in a position where that interest has to actually now be be put into practice. Um, So it's like, you know, there's the interest in it and now boom, here you're dropped into reality. Right. Let's let's see what you're going to do with that interest. So um, that's the challenge for um, for me as a veteran therapist um, is just to um, to extend myself to that. And um, 
just see exactly how I can compare my pre-COVID therapy to my post-COVID therapy. And um, I'm going to learn something new along the way. And now, not only do we have to think about new models and how to implement new ways for speech therapy, you know, now we also have to deal with the climate that we're, um, you know, going through now, you know, being African-American or Black therapist in, mm-hmm. you know, school environments, um, in daily work environments, you know, and some of us, they go into the homes for early steps and the preschools. Oh, yes. Um, you know, just dealing. Now we have to deal with that. Not, not that now we have to deal with it because... <clears throat> As black females, we've always dealt with it. Oh, yes. And particularly black female therapists. Exactly. (laughs) We've always dealt with it. You know, we've been professional about it. We've had, you know, the setbacks and the looks and the, you know, all the things that, you know, we've received on the other end. But Mm -hmm. But we kept going. You know, we just plowed through it and we're like, I'm here to do a job. That's all I'm here to do. I'm providing a service and, you know, I'm on my way. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but now it's, you know, it's come to the forefront. The systemic racism is now, it's here. It's in our faces. It's in the faces of our children. You know, you and I both have uh, black male sons. I have two. You have more. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. it's, it's It's not anything new to us, but it's, it's new to this generation. And, you know, the way that they have chosen to deal with it, it's not like, it's like the, you know, it's the, um, I forgot the, the slang that I'm going to want to think of to say, but they're taking it, they're taking it to another level. They're right. Like, and oh. I think about something that Lester Holt said, um, he says, there's nothing as, um, as challenging as an idea whose time has come. Thank you. And, um, and that's the good thing because now you know we're we're having we're having these difficult conversations um conversations that oftentimes are what we might call sensitive so just let's not talk about it and let's just continue on um let's just sweep it under the rug because it it doesn't exist or because you know well we don't talk politics religion and and racial um issues but I think in, well, not I think, I I strongly believe that when we engage in those difficult conversations and feel the difficulty, allow ourselves to feel it because we have to feel it and work through it. No different than having to feel the difference in the way we provide services now and, and process it and work through it what benefits us in the very end is having had the difficult conversation, having done the difficult work. Um, I'm a, a real fan of Ayala Van Zandt. She always says, and fix my life, you've got to do the work. Right. And that's the, that's the opportunity that we have right now is to do the work. And the work is having, having the critical conversations, not the, well, we don't talk about this because I'm not this or I'm not that. We have to talk about it and talking about it and acknowledging um, differences in opinions, um, acknowledging and offering opportunities 
um, on both ends, both black and white ends, to understand um, what it means to be in a position of being an African-American um, in the workforce um, and in many other areas. Um, oftentimes, when, when we allow ourselves to, to critically listen, to do some critical listening, not, not passive listening where you're, you're already trying to um, develop a response to something as opposed to um, actually hearing and processing. Um, this, is a, this is a great opportunity for us because everybody's having critical conversations. It's, it's right there in our faces every day. I mean, it's really no getting around it at this point. No, it's going to be, you know, different, you know, having to do teletherapy and not, you know, having to always be in these environments right now. But at some point, we're going to be back in the community. Yes. We're going to have to face the adversity that's there and, you know, having the conversations as well. You know, why do you feel that way? Or, you know, I've never reacted to you that way. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me and you and a reaction and, hey, fine, we get along. This is the environment that we're in. It's been there. It's been there all our lives. You know, people want to push it under the rug. Oh, that never happened to me. So it's mm-hmm. not going to happen to me. But yet, mm-hmm. no, that's not what the deal is anymore. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, particularly in our field, um, there's a lot of... Um, you know, just subjectivity in, in, in terms of, um, you know, black speech pathologists. Um, right. if, if you haven't experienced it, you will experience it. And um, in order to survive um, in this profession and um, to, to get along with one another, you know, we have to understand um, our similarities and our differences. Right, exactly. And I mean, you know, it even, it used to be, like, well, where did you go to school? Um, you know, where were you educated? And oh my um, God, yes, <laughs> right. You know, and well, what procedures did you all learn? And well, you know, why are we all in the same environment? If I went to school A and you went to school B, well, what my whatever my diploma says, it gives me the credentials to yes. do exactly what you're doing. Oh yes, I've I've um I've, I've definitely um. Definitely been in 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 situations like that with um you know the where did you attend school mm-hmm. and I think particularly because I um I attended a um, a PWI you know predominantly white institution mm-hmm. um you know I I feel some sort of way that um sometimes it may be perceived as oh, okay, well, she attended this PWI and she's a veteran therapist. And of course she had to have attended many years ago that, you know, she must be a cut above. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate that perception um, because the true feelings that I have is that I certainly don't feel a cut above, um, I, but I don't feel a sense of... Um, I don't feel a sense of of true belonging to my um, my undergraduate um, college. Mm-hmm. Um, I look many times at my um, fellow therapists who attended HBCUs, 
And I marvel at um, particularly you, I'll, I'll say particularly when you're talking about, you know, Xavier and you, you, the homecoming and it's a real big deal. It's a lot of camaraderie, mm -hmm. a lot of connections, even with some of the instructors. And um, that's a feeling that I, I kid you not, that there are times where I just like, boy, I really wish I'd experienced something like that. Um, so I would say that, you know, that's a, sometimes that that's a preconceived notion of where did you go to school as if, you know, so you would get a check and this one would get an X or this one would get a question mark. Mm -hmm. Um, the thing that, that I say is that, um, we did, we didn't, um, end up in this, um, in this profession by default right. and, we, and we, and we certainly didn't get in it by luck no matter where you attended college, because we all had to take that standardized teaching exam to get that teaching certificate as well. So it didn't matter where you attended. It mattered about how prepared you were. And if you were able to pass those exams, honey, you were prepared. I mean, every teaching certificate has the same credentials. Has the same credentials, and there were there were the same there were the same questions on all of the on, on the test because it's a standardized test. So that's why you know the question about well, where did you go or where did you go? So someone could make up in their mind, and mind you, it's only in their mind that well, then I'm at this level and uh, you're at that level. I find the greatest success is what you do what you do in that therapy session and um, the ability to be able to work with your coworkers and to, um, to share. And I find the sharing between not so much between where you attended and where you didn't attend, but more between um, older therapists, mid-level therapists, mid-age therapists, older therapists, being able to share our experiences. And that's that's one of the things that I appreciate um, in working with Hubbard and Tennyson. Um, you know, I get ideas from the younger therapists. Doesn't matter where they attended college. Doesn't matter. Right. You know, we're, we're here to help you, to mentor you, to guide you, to give you our experience. But please give us, like, you know, give us your knowledge. Give us all the updated, you know, right. research and, you know, bring that and share that with us. I think it's a good, it's a real good combination because, um, you know, the majority of us, well, a good bit of us who are with the company, you know, we have, um, we have lots of experience in working in schools. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, we provide you know, that assistance to the, the newer therapist, doesn't matter where you attended school, doesn't matter whether you're black or whether you're white. Um, you know, we provide, um, you know, that mentoring for them um, that I don't, I feel that, that they are appreciative of just as much as we are appreciative of um, maybe some, some newer techniques that they're using. Um, but I, I will say that we're the IEP and evaluation queens of it right. <laughs> because that's where we cut our teeth. We cut our teeth with, with um, challenging situations, scheduling situations. So, um, you know, we bring that um, to the table as well. And what's interesting about it, it doesn't matter whether you are a black therapist or whether you are a white therapist or what, a, what college or university you attended. Um, we're all able to um, to share in our experiences to provide the best services um, through Hubbard and Tennyson's speech. 
And well, you know, you and I, we've also we also worked together, you know, in the local school system for over thirty plus years, and and, and in different capacities. Because I think we both were SLD teachers prior to being, you know, school based speech therapists, and I think you yes. were maybe an interventionist. Yeah. So, I mean, we had <clears throat> we had a gamut of uh, responsibilities and duties, and we were we worked in different school environments you know Mm -hmm. and you can tell you know when you go in certain environments that they like "Mm, well maybe I'm not the person that they want here (laughs) you know maybe I'm not you know you don't want to say I'm not the color you're looking for but it's like Mm -hmm. you know and we have these you know, we had schools in the city or had schools in the city still Mm -hmm. that you know only certain you know, students went to ability. Right. <clears throat> right. You know, when according to your ability, you know, it used to be neighborhoods. Well, you know, a lot of that cut out. We don't have any of that anymore. But, mm-hmm. you know, just like different experiences. And, you know, it's like they want to challenge you, like, to what you know and how long you've been working. And I'm like, yes. I remember going into a school, one of the well-known high schools in the city. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had to ask for specific person that I needed to speak with and the person was there and I introduced myself um you know to let them know who I was and what I was there and when I stuck my hand out I mean it's like they refused to shake my hand I'm like my hand is not moving until yes. you shake it because I am here <laughs> to provide a service for you for yes. your children yes. and you're going oh, to yes. acknowledge me and respect me in my position and yes. I mean, as time went on, you know, we, you know, we became, I mean, ed, ed, edu- you know, educators together, friends, you know, mm-hmm. co-workers. And, you know, that relationship, you know, evolved as I, you know, spent years at the school. But, oh, I used to tell them all the time, I said, oh, my first encounter here was not my best encounter. And I reminded oh. them all the time. So then going forward, you know, me. I started wearing my head wraps to school. <laughs> Even though I didn't hear. Sometimes they didn't yeah. know what my hair looked like underneath. I wore my head wraps. I wore my, you know, my uh, African garb and all yes. of this. I'm like, um, you know, you don't want to be like, well, I'm about to show you what I am or who I am, which you're going right. to respect me professionally also. And Absolutely. Like, I think. Um, why do we those, have to you know, do that? Yes. Um I, 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 I can remember a situation, like you said, we, um, you were an SLD teacher. We were speech pathologists, hired as severe language delayed teachers. And um, that was my first um, assignment um, after graduation. I um, decided that I would take the position as a language disorder teacher, be able to provide um, language therapy across the curriculum. And I said that would be a wonderful opportunity for growth. It would be challenging. Um, so I decided, I remember, um, the school, um, that I was assigned to, um, it was a, it had three stories, three floors. And, um, what I I laugh about it now, because it was, I I guess I was young, um, a little naive, um, because this was my, I won't say it was my first, um, experience with, um, what you might call my first challenging experience, a most memorable experience when I was first hired, um, my undergraduate years, that's another story. That was, that was a challenge in and of itself. But, um, 
when I was hired, they hired me to provide services as a second teacher because um, they had a student who had some physical limitations. I think he may have had um, CP or something like that. So I, my classroom was going to be on the first floor because the school didn't have an elevator and that was in, um, that was 1979. And um, so mind you, this child was being literally, you know, carried up to a third floor. And um, so I'm hired and I find myself within about three weeks faced with um, her lawyers and our school board lawyer. And, um, and, you know, I'd only read about it in my textbook, you know, we learned about due process hearings and what have you and here. Okay. That chapter, Jackie, you're in it now. <laughs> and I'm thinking I've only been on the job for, you know, a little over a month at, at, at best. And, um, so the child was assigned to my room so he no longer had to climb the stairs. And I'm thinking, okay, so, um, you know, we're taking care of that. Um, I mean, I'm doing all my lesson plans. I'm doing them the way that I was taught to do it in undergrad, type it up. And that was a funny thing. My, my principal had to laugh about that and said, you know, I was Miss Higgins at that time. He says, Miss Higgins, you don't, you don't have to type up lesson plans. Here's a lesson plan book. I'm like, well, that's what I have to do. Right. So, um, Long story short, um, I think she had given misinformation to her to her lawyers, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I, you know I was just instructed to sit there because I'd answered all of the questions to the lawyer that was provided by the district, and um, I think they left with their you know tails tucked between their legs. They were very embarrassed because at the end of the day, what she didn't say and what what was actually um, understood was that she thought the other teacher, you know, in New Orleans, we have all these different shades of brown. Right. They run from the lightest shade of brown to the darkest shade of brown. Well, she thought the other teacher was white. Uh, and um, the issue was that, you know, now her child was being put in a black teacher's room. Mm -hmm. And um, there was nothing, there, there was, there was no, um, there was no case. There was no real complaint that she could lodge when actually the district had had done its due diligence by hiring another person and placing that person on the ground level. But um, at the end of the day, um, her child enjoyed working with me. I think I probably was one of the first people that he actually encountered that was not, not white mm -hmm. and working in a position of um of authority in a sense. Right. Um, she became very kind to me. Um, I think it was a learning experience for her. Um, but what I found is that I found compassion for her in a sense, mm -hmm. because I think her frustration was not just with, I think it was primarily with the fact that I was African-American, but also the fact that she had a child with special needs. Right. Um, but um, that was a learning experience for me. And um, it, it, one of the things that it, that it did teach me, though, and that I can remember is to always have your documentation, oh, yeah. always have your documentation, because you never know when you're going to be called upon. And that's something that, that um, because I experienced it early on, and um, I've always made sure that I, that I kept copious notes. Right. Um, 
and just even some very cursory notes I'd write just in the margins from time to time, always thinking in the back of my head that um, if you're ever called upon, right. um, how could you respond? Right. So it, um, it, had a, it had a positive effect in that sense. Um, and I think it was a po- had a positive effect on her as well. Gave her an opportunity to see um, an African-American in a, in a professional position um, and somebody who is helping service. her and her child. And her child, absolutely. Absolutely. So like in that situation, do you think it was racism or just being biased just because? Mm. Well, here goes. There's a thin line between being biased and being racist. And this this is my thoughts on it. When I think of being biased, I might say like... Um, I'm going to talk about animals in a sense. I, I had a cute little Shih Tzu, and um, you know, a friend of mine had um, had a, a, a pit bull, and you know, here's here's my bias: all pit bulls are dangerous. They're all bad. Shih Tzus are the smartest dogs in the world, <laughs> and um, so and it is it ends. It's a it's about my preference, but here, because it's a bias. Each of those animals still have rights. It doesn't interfere with their rights to be fed and to be cared for equally. But when I when I when when we talk about racism, racism, it has that bias component. But what it does is now it begins to affect a person's rights. Right. Whereas being biased, I can I can feel one way or the other, and it becomes more of a personal preference, or it may, but it's not going to interfere with an individual's right. It's not rights. It's not going to suppress their rights. Whereas when we when we look at prejudice, we we look at definite um, situations where individual rights have been infringed upon Mm -hmm. and new laws are supported to continue to suppress an individual's rights. It can interfere with my income. It can, it can, it can send my black son to jail. It can get my son killed. So when we're talking about the two, I'm like, well, one one doesn't deal with the suppression of a person's civil rights. Right. And that's what prejudice does. Right. And I know this, I mean, I'm just going to jump in with this because it's, it, it, it's under the umbrella of what we're talking about. I mean, it's not our specific topic, but black male sons. And I tell people, you know, that they, they don't understand why have all my children's lives, even as young, because I put my children in uh, predominantly white school, in a predominantly white school from pre-K, maybe to third or fourth grade. And, you know, I had to tell them, let me tell you something. You don't, you don't know race, you don't know color, you don't understand that, but just know anything happens or goes down, you're the first one they're going to see, you're the first one they're going to um, blame. Yes. And I said this to them in, at the school in front of their teachers. And one of them mm-hmm. said, oh, Magina, you know, don't say that. I said, no, I have to say it because I need them to know 
that they are in this environment because I want them in this environment because I know whatever the children in this environment are getting, my children are getting it too because this is what I want them exposed to. But when we leave this school, we go to our home in our environment with our family and we have our, you know, beliefs and our traditions, you know, which are different from the kids that they go to school with. I say, but they're going to know that in their home environment and in their socialized, in their social environment, they are black, they are African-American boys. Things mm-hmm. are different than right. the children that you're going to school with. But it's like, absolutely, and you know, and, and thinking about it, we have always had to have to, don't ride with the music loud, don't wear white t-shirts, right. don't wear absolutely. a hood, don't wear yes. a hat. It's like, it's frustrating and it's, it's, um, it's, I don't know what word I want to think, it's, it's tiresome. I mean, we just exhausted. It is. We're exhausted. Yeah. To deal it's with having, it at home having to and have the, deal with it in the Right. Life. To have the critical conversations because sometimes, you know, you, you want to, you want to, you want to um, keep your children protected and make them feel like the world is not such a bad place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have to have these critical conversations. But one thing that I'm thinking about, too, and just kind of going a little bit back to... Um, to bias and racism, because that that right there, I think, um, becomes sometimes a crutch. And uh, when when someone um, when we're experiencing a situation um, that can be perceived as being racist, and we're told um, that oh no, it's just you know it's just my preference, and I say that you know what. You, what we have to watch and be careful about um, something that is counted as a preference is simply a disguise mm. that it's a that it's that it's disguised as a preference um, when it's actually racism yeah. and that is how trying um, to I cover think, it up. Yeah, I think that individuals, when we don't have the critical conversations to really, really get to the heart of it, 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 we're fooling ourselves by just simply saying, well, this is what I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, I like the hairstyles and, um, you know, I, I noticed what you said about, you know, when you, when you, you began to wear your head wraps, I would do some very similar things to say that this is me. It doesn't it doesn't affect um, um, how my, my work. Yeah. It doesn't affect um, what I've learned. It doesn't affect how I'm going to provide services. But this this is me, and um, you know this this is my hair. This is my clothing, um, and I'm I'm going to give you an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Mm-hmm. It does it doesn't matter um, um, what I'm wearing, but. Yeah, I I think now when 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 individuals and we make certain decisions and it doesn't fall um, on the side of um, the checklist of well I don't feel like you're being fair to me, mm-hmm. and um, we're saying well it's just my preference. Well, you know we have to really dissect the word um, bias and the things that we prefer, and then let's talk about why we prefer it. And I will guarantee you that at the um, <clears throat> when it's really dissected, when that bias is really dissected, and we talk about a preference, 
that um, the 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 very the the very 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 um, bottom line of it um, lies in in a racist stereotype belief system. Right. Well, you and I have been working together. Like I know we said in the beginning, um, past way for 35, 37 years. Yes. We both worked for the schools. We worked for the school system, retired from there. We're still in the same profession, but we're on the second half of our careers as, you know, working with Harvard and Tennyson speech consultants as, um, you know, therapists and consultants going into the schools and pretty much doing what we've always been doing. Um, when we go to conferences, you know, we get to meet up with all of our former coworkers and counterparts from different parts of, you know, the city and the state. And I know we're both noticing that um, African-American therapists seem to be a dying breed. Yes. And I know it has a lot to do with, you know, the schools that we were able to get into that didn't make it so hard for Mm -hmm. us to get into that a lot of those schools, you know, the the programs are, uh, you know, either being diminished or they're being, um, they're closing. So they're getting the undergraduate degrees but then it's like, okay, well, where do I go now? Because well, I don't have this credential to get into this school. I don't have this credential to get into that school. And then they only accepting so many and they're making it so hard. Um, one thing I must say, I'm happy to say and thankful that Xavier has opened up the graduate program for speech language pathologists and audiologists, finally. Yes, yes. I, I thought that was that was some of the best news ever. Yes. I mean, we tried when we were still in school, we tried to get them to add it, you know, as a five year program. But mm-hmm. we, you know, struggled all through that time. So everybody that left you had to go to continue education somewhere else to get your credentials. But it is it finally opened. And it's a shame that it had the first year had to be during COVID. But um, they did, I did speak to one of our therapists who is um, on leave from us, but she's in school. Yes. She mm-hmm. did, they did finish the first semester and she did great. They are, were, right now they are in, I guess it's called the summer, summer session. They are going. So it is continuing. So it's like, what, so besides being, a, and, and as alumni, Xavier, being able to tout that program, you know, it's like we're trying to figure out now we've even asked Xavier and either, you know, the undergraduate programs at different schools, let us come in and talk to your students who, um, you know, may not know where they, what they want to do, may not have declared uh, um, a major. We've, as an alumni, I've, Christy and I have even talked to, you know, some of the people at Xavier and I've talked when I go for homecoming if there's somebody in a medical field or in biology that they're kind of riding the fence, like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to medical school. I want to stay in biology. And I'm like, well, you know, how about come talk to us and let us, you know, inform you of what we do as speech language pathologists. And maybe, you know, you may be able to direct your interest towards the, the field of speech language pathology and audiology. Because we need to get some more African-American therapists, male and female, in the field because, I mean, it's, 
I it's dwindling. It is. It is. But one of the things that I think about, I remember um, <laughs> it was interesting um, because prior to to um, coming to um, Orleans Parish, well, I grew up here in New Orleans, of course, and you know I went away to school and um, came back home. And when I came back home and interviewed for Orleans Parish, even though I went to school in Orleans Parish, but I'm talking about coming back as, as a professional, I had never seen so many black speech pathologists <laughs> in all my life. I was like, whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, so that, that was the perspective as a professional. Mm -hmm. But I, I definitely agree with you at this point that now being here and when we go to conferences and looking at the numbers, they definitely are dwindling. One of the things that I think is interesting, and this was one year we had, um, we did a career day and this was a... Um, a K through eight school that I was working at. And, you know, oftentimes when they're doing like little career days just for the, the eighth graders, just to be exposed to and different careers, because it's often organized by schools, they will bring in every other profession except that profession in which they're in. Right. So it was interesting that year they asked me, to be the speech pathologist, even though, you know, that's my position in the school. Um, it would be helpful because students would see me walking the hallways, picking up students just to explain some of the things that I did. So I said that to say this, that oftentimes we're in a position within our schools, um, we're visible in those schools to actually um, have students understand what we're doing. I remember one year during Better Speech and Hearing Month, um, I had with the students, well, you can bring a friend today, just bring a friend. And we just, we didn't do, um, you know, many of the things that we would normally do, but it gave those friends an opportunity, because often the, the kids want to know, well, what are you doing there? What right. are you doing speech? But an opportunity for them to be, um, to be inquisitive, to ask some questions about um, what a speech pathologist actually does, what her job is. So um, sometimes, as I said, we're in the positions because we're in the schools, particularly when we're in the high school, um, they will have an opportunity to, um, you know, to see, see this profession um, and the services that, that we provide. To be honest, when I started school, when I saw Xavier, I was in an accounting major. I mean, okay. I did, because I, you know, at Cabrini, I took my senior year, I took all like the business and accounting and all of that. My family had a business. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I was doing a lot of that anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, after that first year, that trigonometry kept something, whatever it was in math, me and it, we were not, we were not working. So, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> so I'm like, it's not happening. So I yeah, we all get, get to those points. Yeah, like, okay, I got to figure something that's not going to be all of this math. And when I looked through the Xavier's catalog, I had never heard of a speech pathologist mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I went to Catholic schools all my life, and you right. know, speech therapists were pretty much hired in the public school system. So mm -hmm. I never knew what it was. So once I read, you know, the definition and with the curriculum, I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I think that's what I'd like to do since I like to talk and, you know, yes. 
not mm-hmm. thinking I would go to the school system, thinking I would go, you know, the medical route. But then when you go right, in right. and, you know, the options are there and it's like, oh, okay, well, especially if you can leave work, if you can leave, when you finish school, you can go work in the school system. And then you had three years, you know, to get the master's mm-hmm. to go into the, mm-hmm. um, the medical environment. But right, it's, right. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, we just have to put it out there. I mean, because for those yeah. who don't know it's there, for the students in school who may want another option, for the students, mm-hmm. the seniors in high school, but, you know. Yeah, and I think just like you said, um, you know, we're, we're probably in college around the time, you know, you're younger than me, Gina, but, you know, where we had where we had college um, catalogs. Your catalog, catalogs, right, yes. Where you could actually, None. you know, kind of look through things like that. And um, I think it's it's different because I'm thinking like you start out in accounting. I started out um, with an interest in um, first it was interior decorating that was in high school. But by the time I got ready to go to college, I'm like, that's not what I want to do. That just sounded cute. I wanted to actually do um, start out with in physical therapy. Okay. And I knew that it was uh, whatever it is that I wanted to do was going to be it was narrowed down to this that it was going to be something in the rehabilitative field. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I hadn't had any encounters with the speech pathologist. Um, when I transferred to the university, um, um, ULM was where, where I ultimately graduated from. Um, got a chance to actually, um, you know, see the speech clinic. And because um, I was sort of like... Um, just investigating different careers. It was still going to be physical therapy, but then looking at the curriculum and um, looking at what I thought was a good fit for me, um, you know, settled on um, looking at and studying speech pathology. Mm -hmm. Um, That clinic was the turning point for me because I got a chance to observe um, them doing some therapy um, in the clinic and then looking at the curriculum. And I thought that it was really something that really fit well with me. And that's why I said earlier that um, in terms of, um, you know, things that we might want to share with um, um, therapists who are not African-American is that, you know, we didn't enter this field by default. Right. Um, in, in many cases, <clears throat> because it's a challenging field. It's it's quite challenging, and um, it's very rewarding, when, but it definitely is challenging. Right, it's a challenging career when you look at when you look at the curriculum. Um, so, <clears throat> particularly when you know we're having to address the educational component as well, so that you can be licensed to work in the schools. Right. So it's not it's not something to say. Well, you know, I can't do anything else. I'm going to do this. I would I would say oh well if you do you might be you can be surprised um, because it's it's quite challenging and um, you know anyone who finishes within that field they definitely have um, you know the rigor is there so um, yep it's just kind of it's it's finding finding the areas that um, you know that we're comfortable in that that we know we have that innate ability to um, you know to to really do well and to be have an impact right on the child the family absolutely absolutely because definitely that rehabilitative um 
field was something that I knew I wanted to do. Um, whether it's physical therapy, I ended up, you know, with, with it being speech pathology. Um, most of the people in my family, <clears throat> like my mother, she's a nurse. My sister's a nurse. My aunt is a nurse. And so I guess it's all, we all have, um, have something within us. I don't know whether it's genetic or what, I don't know, yeah. but I didn't get the nursing bug, but it's all, you know, we're all <laughs> in the medical field. All in right. something, you know, dealing with, um, with working with people and um, rehabilitating to a sense. Right. So let's see, what advice can we give to maybe some young black females or even males Mm -hmm. that would, uh, that could be possibly thinking of pursuing a career as a speech and language pathologist? Well, I'll tell you this one. This comes to mind um, right off the top. I have a first cousin who is a speech pathologist. Um, we're sister and brother's children. And she's younger than me. And I can remember um, saying to her when she started out, um, you know, if you, when you're, when you're in this field, you know, take the longer route, take the longer route. And the longer route I meant by, you know, doing speech pathology, college of education, um, right. to give yourself more options when you graduate. Now, um, she did allied health and science and, um, you know, realized soon afterwards that it was challenging, you know, <laughs> you couldn't get a job in the school system. Right to, you know, she went and she got her master's degree and she was able to, um, you know, to get the teaching certificate. So that piece of advice I would say is my advice would be to plan for at least four years of college because, you know, nowadays, particularly graduating with, um, with, with just a bachelor's degree, I mean, we were, we were able to work years ago and work towards, but now, you know, some districts are um, not wanting to hire because you will be an assistant and it requires um, a lot of restrictions. Right. Attached. There's a lot of restrictions attached and, you know, that 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 district or that company has to be able to have the personnel available to do that direct supervision at, right. at that level for speech therapist assistance. So so make make a plan in your mind that, you know, for a minimum of four years. Another piece of advice I, I would offer would be um, if you plan to work as a school SLP, well, I said that earlier, make sure that that college or university program that has that, that allows that education component. Right. Because I, I was talking to somebody recently. I'm not even sure if a lot of them are even offering that because when I asked, I think it was a couple of, you know, young girls that work with us and yeah. they were looking at me like, no, nah, they didn't even know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But they don't have teacher certificates where we, we have lifetime Right, right. Our license to practice speech. They don't have Absol that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I'm not I'm not sure if that is um, because now, you know, they're requiring that a speech pathologist when she starts working, that she, you know, to, that she has a master's degree and that going through the master's program gives them that component. Um, do they still get the teaching certificate in that master's program or not? I'm not sure. I guess it's going to depend. Oh, I guess oh, it's the ancillary certification. I, I know some of them do get the ancillary, but I'm not sure. Yeah. 
but uh, so that might be an old piece of advice. And uh, finally, I would just say to attend to, to you know begin to attend some conferences um, as an undergraduate. I can remember um, attending. It probably wasn't spouse back then. It might have been something similar or something. Um, but um, in my in my senior year, um, we had a um, a speech pathology, you know, has different, different majors had, um, different, um, like clubs or organizations for students and those who majored in, you know, various, um, things in college. And, um, one of the things was that we had to attend, um, a minimum of two conferences. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was, that was very informative. I, I felt, I felt so professional, you know, right. I'm senior now and I'm going to a, a speech therapist conference. Right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I would, I would advise that not because you don't have to wait until you graduate, because we know that I think particularly with spouse and some of the others, they have student, um, you know, registration fees. So, um, you know, get your feet wet, attend that. And um, it's a great way to pick up um, additional information, make contacts um, with others who are in the profession. We may, you know, revisit this maybe, you know, another couple of weeks or uh, next month as they decide to roll out the opening of school. A lot of the educators are really afraid to go into these schools. Yes. A lot of parents, yeah. they know they have to go to work or do whatever, but they're afraid to send their kids to school. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, it's a lot that we have to uh, deal with. You know, everything is going on at one time where it's like we can't get a break from anything to just sit back and chill and be like, oh, you know, like we used to do. Oh, summer break. Oh, okay. Couple right. Weeks. Oh, right. We get to see our friends yeah. in a couple of weeks. We do our training. Yeah. And, yeah open and you know it's that's going to be so sorely missed so sorely missed um yeah definitely definitely the you know being able to get back together face to face with my co-workers and it's it's um it's it's a new normal but um you know i trust that this new normal is only temporary that that if we continue you know following the cdc guidelines that you know we'll be able to push through this uh, we'll be able to fully be in phase two, moving into phase three, as opposed to phase two. That's really pushing back to phase so one, phase one a, a phase 1.5. <laughs> yeah, or point five. It's like, come on, you can just get people to understand and to listen. Yeah. But you know, the right. main thing is the initial narrative they put black people, old people, people with health conditions. So mm-hmm. when that narrative was thrown out at the beginning, if you mm-hmm. weren't black, if you weren't old, if you didn't have underlying health conditions, oh, yeah. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Absolutely. Now, that I'm fine. It's affecting the people who are outside of that narrative. So Absolutely. now for some of them, it's becoming real. Some of them is still, they're like, oh, you know, it's still a hoax, whatever, whatever. But now it's affecting those outside of that initial narrative. So now some people are becoming more aware and oh i guess we better but some people are just gonna have that idea like you can't tell me what to do okay i don't i can't tell you what to do but i don't want you standing in front of me or behind me on the mm-hmm. side of me or talking to me without a mask so without a mask on stay home <laughs> right so the challenging thing i think for parents you know um wow 
is, um, you know, how, how you conduct parent conferences. I think about, you know, when, um, when I was in the schools prior to retirement and I was at one particular school every day, all day. And, you know, we had parents who would come in and wait and pick up kids, how we conducted, um, IEP conferences, how we conducted, um, conferences that dealt with um, students going into intervention, um, student assistant team meetings, um, report card conferences. Um, all of those things are going to be just really, really different. That it's more than just, as they say, well, the, the um, contact um, tracing for children and the exposure is not as high. But then when you factor in, when you work in schools, you're not just working with the children is only a part of it. Right. The other part of the equation is the parents. Because they and have remember, to bring them, pick them up. Come right. Absolutely. I mean, you don't know what's, what's going on in their environment. You don't know what's going on in their environments. And that, you know, we're no longer just district schools. We're school-wide charters right. children come from all different parts of the city you know gone are the days where you lived in this community and these are the schools you attended right. uh, you know we're we're from everywhere and um, parents come and go and children come and go so um you know my heart's for them and and how we're going to get this done but um it'll get done It'll get done. I'm 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 convinced that it'll get done. Cool heads will prevail. Right. At some point. At some point. Yes, yes. Well, thank you, Miss Jack. I sure appreciate you coming on and being my guest today as we talked about a variety of uh current issues and events that we're um dealing with right now. I'm just have to, you know, continue to stay focused, stay positive, pray our way through all of it and pray that, you know, we come out on the the better end Absolutely. of everything that we're dealing with. Absolutely. We are survivors. We are yes. we are Katrina we are Katrina therapist survivors and we will be COVID nineteen therapist survivors. Yes. Who can say that that they've had two two disasters Within their careers. Within their careers, <laughs> within a, what, 15 years. I mean, within a 15 year, about a 15 year time span. Yes. Yeah, but we're still here and we're still, we're still striving here. to continue to be here. What we can to provide services to our families um, of all race, races, uh, cultural backgrounds. You know, we don't discriminate. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, Absolutely. We've never, we've never done that. You know, we've always been, you know, thrust into whatever environment that we were sent into. We went in it head first, 100%. Did what we had to do. We may have come out a little scathed, but we went back the next day <laughs> and just kept on pushing through. Absolutely. That's what we're here for, to provide services. Right. And we also want to let our parents know, you know, we are here. Um, you know, if it's a, a, a white parent, you know, don't feel different. Don't think that, you know, because of everything that's going on that, you know, your black therapist may have a different view of you. And our 
black therapists, you know, we're hoping that environments that you do have to go into when that time comes, that, you know, you don't feel you have to go in there with a certain mindset. Because you know, right. if you didn't have that friction with the parent and the family before, you, you're not going to have it now. It oh, just, no. you know, it asked them, do you have any right. questions? Is there, you know, do you feel uncomfortable? Is there anything you'd like to ask me? Is there anything you want right. to know? I mean, if you feel some tension, you know, just go in there open-minded and like, you know, if you have any feelings or whatever that may be going on, you know, in the world right now, let's talk about it now so we can just move forward and, you know, continue providing the services to the kids. Right. I think that's key. Um, and we are communication specialists. Right. We're communication specialists. So that's, you know, that's, that's, that's right in our area of expertise. Um, we're excellent listeners. And, um, you know, sometimes I believe that that is what it takes being able to, to have the critical conversations and then move forward, move forward, move forward sometimes, you know, in a, in a change in behavior, a change in thought pattern, a change in attitude, um, because that's what, that's what it's going to take for us to, um, to all move forward together. Right. Exactly. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And um, to our listeners, you can look forward to um, some more Harvard and Tennyson speech consultant podcast in the future. And if you have any questions uh, regarding anything that we talked about today, or if you have any suggestions of any topics that you would like us, us to discuss, please just let us know. Send us an email. Thank, Thank you so much, Miss Jean. It was been it's been wonderful conversing with you today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye bye.